In the Gospel today, Herod is challenged. It is clear to him when the Magi show up that they are asking about the Christ. Because when he goes to his scholars, he asks them about the birthplace of the Christ. Herod knows what's at stake. He's a Jew. And he knows that the Messiah is expected to be a political savior. The Messiah is expected to be the one who will free Israel from the oppression of the Romans and will return Israel to independence and prosperity. And Herod also knows that he is the king of the Jews only by the dictate of the Roman Senate. So to get rid of Rome is also to get rid of Herod. And so he faces a conundrum. Here are these kings that are showing up, asking about the newborn king of the Jews. He understands that to be the Christ. He knows what it means that they're asking about the Christ. And so he can respond in one of two ways. He can respond with rejoicing, knowing that he will never be able to achieve what the Messiah of God is able to achieve. Rejoicing that this long-awaited Savior of Israel has finally come, and that he might be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah, similarly to the way John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah. He might follow through with his words to the Magi that he wants to go and do homage to this new king. His second option is to do what he did, which is lie to the Magi, and then when he realizes that they learned better and avoided him, to kill all of the two-year-old and younger boys in Bethlehem as a way to try to solidify his power and prevent this newborn king of the Jews from stealing power from him, the king of the Jews. Herod had a choice. He had a choice. Now, we today have a tendency to think of Herod and men like him as uniquely monstrous. Herod killing all these young boys in Bethlehem, right? It's a, it's a form of genocide, and so Herod himself must be this horrible man, and he must be horrible uniquely. He must have been born horrible, he must just be horrible. He is horrible in a way that we could not be horrible. That difference between us and Herod makes us feel good about ourselves. I could never be Herod. Herod was just especially bad. But I don't think that gives enough credence to human nature and the way these decisions are made. What we're seeing in the gospel is a very clear example of idolatry. Idolatry is the idea of worshiping something that's not God. All of us, in the depths of our heart, want to worship something. We want to give our lives away to something. There is a desire in us to enter into worship, to give ourselves to something greater than ourselves. Ideally, first commandment and all that, Ideally, that thing would be God. And we'll talk later about why that has to be God. But ideally, that thing would be God. Idolatry is when we worship something other than God. To put it another way, there's always priorities in our lives. Our first priority, the thing that shapes all of our other priorities, that's the thing that we worship. So what happens when we put something in that slot, in that top priority, that's not God? 
But we see Herod, he worships power. He wants to be the king, and he wants to remain the king, and he wants to make sure the ones that he chooses to be king after him are king. He worships his power, and he will do anything he can to preserve that power. And so we shouldn't be surprised that he ends up being monstrous, because power doesn't care about morality. Power cares about power. And those who worship power will do whatever they have to to remain in power. Consequences be damned, doesn't matter who gets hurt. That's what idolatry looks like. Classically, there are four temptations to idolatry. There's power, there's pleasure, there's honor, which today we might call fame, and there is wealth. And each of those four things, if we worship them, if we put them as our highest priority, will lead us to corruption. Herod is not uniquely evil. Herod is simply the byproduct of idolatry. What are some byproducts of idolatry we might see today? Well, when I think about the idolatry of pleasure, I think about the Me Too movement that we've been seeing in Hollywood but elsewhere. That's something that happens when a group of people is taught to worship pleasure above all other things. The only thing that matters is my pleasure. Again, whatever the consequences are, whoever gets hurt, this is what I worship. And so every choice that I make after that is in service to my pleasure. Or when I think about the idolatry of wealth, I think about the discussion we're having about the big tech companies and how they fit in with our democratic open society. How they, in favor of something called engagement, allow anything to go. They don't necessarily care about the consequences. They don't necessarily care about the truth. Well, this is the idolatry of wealth. Engagement is ad revenue, ad revenue is wealth. It doesn't really matter what the consequences are as long as they make profit for their shareholders. So what happens when we worship wealth above anything else. Or the idolatry of fame. I think about Instagram, TikTok, and all of the things that social media are doing to our children. TikTok particularly right now is concerning because there are all of these challenges that come across on TikTok, and they result in things like bodily harm or dangerous vandalism. There's this challenge where you just destroy your school's toilets, record it, put it up on TikTok. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing for children to be telling other children to be doing. But this is what happens when we tell them that the most important thing in their life is to be well-liked, to be famous, to get those views and those clicks, to have everybody like your post. That's the idolatry of fame. And then the idolatry of power might not look like Herod today, but why do we think our government is ineffective at doing anything that's concrete? It's because we have a society, we have a culture, where the thing that matters most is remaining in office. So we position ourselves, we make the other side look bad, so that when it's primary time or election time, we have talking points where we can say, look how evil that person is, they didn't do anything. Obstructionism is the idolatry of power. So what's the solution to any of this? How do we prevent ourselves from becoming a heretic? Well, we worship God. We worship God above all other things. Because God actually cares about us. 
Unlike power, wealth, pleasure, and honor, God loves us. He knows us. He created us. And so if we worship God above all other things, we cannot be led to corruption because God is the thing that heals us from corruption. If every decision we make in our lives comes from our worship of Almighty God, then every decision we make in our lives is going to be a good decision. It's going to lead us to holiness, to worship of Almighty God. It's going to lead us to love of our neighbor, because God loves our neighbor too, and told us to love our neighbor. It's important that we know what we worship, because in life we are constantly faced with decisions and challenges. God himself constantly challenges us. He challenges us with new ideas that we have to engage with, or even old ideas, moral ideas that we find challenging. He challenges us with greater calls to holiness, with putting into our lives this call maybe to pray, to do that 15 minutes of prayer every day, or maybe to enter into a new service, a new way of self-giving and self-sacrifice. The Lord is constantly calling us to grow and to change, and we receive that as a challenge. Well, Herod had his power challenged. The announcement of the Messiah was a challenge to everything that he knew. He, because he worshipped power, resolved that challenge in favor of his power, rather than in favor of the new thing God was calling him to do. If we worship God above all other things, when we're challenged, whatever that challenge is, we will be open to the grace that comes from that challenge. When the Lord calls us something new and scary, as he called the Magi, they had to cross a whole desert to find Jesus. They had to go to a land they'd never visited before. When God gives us that kind of challenge and we worship God first, then we will receive that challenge with joy, saying, this is the new adventure God is calling me to. This is the new thing that the Lord wants me to do. I'm not challenged in the negative sense by that. I'm challenged in the positive sense, the inspirational sense, the sense where I want to be the man or the woman that God created me to be. What a wonderful way to receive that challenge. If we worship God first, of course we will follow him wherever he leads us, even if we don't know the end of that road. Now I am aware that I am preaching to a church full of people who braved the snow and the elements and everything else just to be here on Sunday. And so I have to imagine that every one of us in this church, if we were to be asked what we worship, what's our highest priority, we would answer, well, of course, it's God. Fair enough. I'm going to challenge you anyway. We can answer that question best by looking at concrete examples. Our life, I think about our life like um, a tournament, like a sports tournament, a bracket. You have all of these different things in competition with each other. And when two things are in competition with each other, that has to be resolved. And so we resolve that, like a tournament bracket, eventually one thing will come out on top. No matter what has come into conflict with this thing, this thing has always been the thing that I choose. Ultimately, that is the thing that I worship. That is the thing that I worship. And so again, very aware that I'm preaching to the people who are actually here today on Sunday. 
one of the questions that I'll ask people when they talk about not coming to church on Sunday is I'll ask, well, what kept you from church? What's the thing? Because what I'm asking, they don't always realize this, but what I'm asking is, what is the thing that is more important to you? What has resolved this tournament bracket away from giving that hour of worship to God each Sunday? For a lot of people, I've heard, it's family. And again, family, beautiful, wonderful thing. Absolutely. A gift from God that we should preserve. But some people feel very conflicted when they're hosting family or when they're visiting family or when family who doesn't go to church schedule something on Sunday morning. They feel very conflicted, and sometimes they resolve that conflict in favor of family. That's fine, but we have to understand that means that we worship family above God. And again, family is a beautiful thing, but what are the consequences of that? What's going to come when we put something that's not God in that top slot? Or I'll have people talk about different hobbies and things that they have. You know, the idea, it's ski season, so I just want to be up early on Sunday on the slopes. Okay, fine, but again, that means we're worshiping skiing above God. These, these concrete things, they matter. They show us what we truly worship. The final example, I'd say, is, is prayer. Let's say we're working people, you know, we're, we're in the office for eight hours, we've got to get ready, we've got to eat breakfast, we've got to eat dinner. You know, we might only have two hours to ourselves each day. And that's not a lot of time, and we need to relax, we need to do something, maybe watch a show, that's fine. All of that is wonderful. But can we take one-sixth of those two hours, can we take 20 minutes a day and give them to God in prayer? If we can't, what do we choose in place of that prayer? What's more important to us than those 20 minutes? That is what we worship. That's the thing that we put above God. And again, these things might be fine for a while, but eventually this idolatry will lead us to a place we don't want to go. I don't think Herod set out at the beginning of his life to be the man that he ended up being. I don't think any of the other people that I mentioned uh, in our society today, intend to be the image that we have of them today. But a series of concrete decisions along the way, a series of prioritization that went in a certain direction, led them there. Our job as Christians is to worship God first. And if we do that, we can be guaranteed that our life will be full of grace and blessing. It will be full of adventure and joy. When we receive the challenge or the call of God, we will respond like the Magi, who left everything to go across the desert just to visit a little baby. They didn't know why they were going. They didn't know where the star was leading them. But what they found in that manger changed their lives. Or we might receive the call of God like Mary did. She admittedly had questions about the details. How am I supposed to bear this child if I'm not yet married? But she received the news of the angel Gabriel with devotion, with piety, with joy and thanksgiving. We want to be like the Magi. We want to be like Mary. We want to be ready for whatever God is putting into our life so that we will always choose him wherever he calls us, choose the grace and the blessing that he wants to provide us.